2008, the city did this. Mm. It was the first of its kind, and it was, we thought, a really important tool and one that should be repeated regularly. And so the city never, despite our sort of calls as part of our focus on performance measurement, never did it again, so CBC has done it now. Welcome to What's the Data Point from Citizens Budget Commission in Gotham Gazette. I'm Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. I'm Maria Doulis from the Citizens Budget Commission. The CBC is a budget watchdog, fiscal monitor, and research uh, organization that is devoted to cost-effective government. Uh, We are online at cbcny.org, and at cbcny, I'm at Maria Doulis. And at Gotham Gazette, for those unfamiliar, we're published by Citizens Union Foundation, and our mission is to hold government officials accountable explain important policy matters, and be a watchdog on city and state government. Uh, I'm on Twitter at TweetBenMax, and we're at Gotham Gazette. And we're here for What's the Data Point, episode number two. Uh, In our first episode, we unpacked the new city budget, and we're here today for our second. And for our second, we have a special guest. Uh, We're joined by Alyssa Katz of the Daily News Editorial Board, one of the sharpest thinkers about city politics and policy and uh, all things uh, New York. Well, thank you for having me here. You're welcome. So let's dig right in. Today for our second episode of What's the Data Point, our data point is 44%. Maria, tell us what that means. 44% is the share of New York City residents who are satisfied with New York City government services. So where did this number come from? CBC did a survey of New Yorkers. So we asked 72,000 households across the city, randomly selected so that we could get good results at the neighborhood level, what they think about New York City government and quality of life in the survey. And, you know, New Yorkers are not shy about telling you what they think. So we got an amazing response. About almost 10,000 people responded um, and basically rated uh, the, the quality of life and individual services in the city. The results were, uh, you know, are robust enough so we can get results at the community board level, but also have a margin of error of plus or minus 1% citywide, which is way better than sort of any political poll that you usually hear about in the news. So 72,000 surveys were sent out. You got about 10,000 back. Right. You broke down the numbers. And the gist of the survey is capturing how people feel about city government. City government, individual government services, and just quality of life in their neighborhood. So everything from how you rate your garbage pickup to what about street cleanliness and noise in your neighborhood. And so our data point for today is 44%. That's the percentage of those who responded who said they're satisfied with city government services. So not a particularly great number, but we'll unpack it a bit. Um, Alyssa, what sort of stands out to you about that or the survey? Well, first of all, I would actually say that 44% is a pretty good number. Uh, I mean, you think about what tough customers New Yorkers are and both their high expectations of city government, which I think is a good thing because they actually, it means they actually believe government has the potential to deliver um, those services and the quality of life. Um, and you know, with a, if you look at the survey as we break it down, we'll see that there, you know, people have definitely some strong criticisms about certain areas of services. But overall, when it comes to their own neighborhoods, their own services, the really basic stuff like garbage pickup that really matters to their day-to-day lives, people overall are pretty happy. So I'm a, maybe I'm just an optimist, but I actually feel like this is a pretty good number. What's, yeah. your, what's your takeaway about the 44% or big, big data point here? 44%, I think, is 
an okay number. It means most people think that the the services are fair, right? Um, I think what's more interesting is what the results tell us about where city government can improve exactly. Because yes, things like fire protection, EMS, we see high satisfaction. Whereas in other areas, in the social safety net, in areas related to traffic, some of the more specific quality of life measures, we see much lower results. So I think as a tool, the survey points to where there could be more focus in government to to bolster the results. So as we're talking about the survey and people are listening, people could call up the survey results at the Citizens Budget Commission website. We're obviously going to have a link to it at Gotham Gazette, where we're also, you know, have the podcast posted. But just as, you know, for folks who don't have it in front of them, I can just give a, a little bit of a snapshot of some other things. You know, the survey starts, the results start with the big picture indicators. And we're talking about sort of the number one big picture indicator, which is you know, overall quality of city government services, and that's where we had a 44% uh, satisfaction rating. But the other big picture indicators include, are you satisfied with your neighborhood as a place to live? 63% said yes, that's a pretty high number. Um, Do you plan to stay in New York City? Quality of life in New York City. Um, City promotes the economic growth of the city. Uh, Overall ease of travel within the city. So those are some of the big ones. And then you also have a lot of sort of more specific ones, um, quality of life, uh, safety, non-safety indicators, and breaking those down. So, what are some what are some things we can point to in those that stand out to us as we say, what do New Yorkers think of of city services? Well, I think you know, as I mentioned, I think you know we see both a really. Uh, relatively high sense of satisfaction with people's own neighborhood services. And then, you know, when it comes to some of, as Maria was hinting before, some of the services that may not touch all the respondents directly, but uh, really do play out very visibly in the media, um, in kind of the political conversation, you know, particularly, and also in just what people see day-to-day on uh, on the streets of the city and in their own uh uh, communities. So, you know, not surprisingly, homeless services, I think, got the worst uh, rating on the survey. Only just 14% said they were satisfactory. Child welfare services. Um, you know, other services that, again, um, people hear about but may not be touched by directly. And I think that's, uh, you know, this is, I guess, part of what fuels my optimism is that where, where it is that people are likeliest to have had direct contact um, you know, the numbers are actually relatively good. Now, no, you know, another number which won't surprise any listener at all is very poor ratings on, uh, you know, transit, ease of getting around the city. I think we see visibly here the transit crisis that is now playing out politically and that, you know, every, you know all commuters are feeling right now. Um, and, you know, it's, it, this survey isn't, the, you know, isn't uh, bringing a sort of new uh, problem to light, but I think it really crystallizes just how widely felt, I forget what the number is for, uh, on, on transit, but I think subway services, you know, it's, um, it, I mean, they're actually fairly high at uh, 54% overall, but the, the rating on ease of getting around the city is lower at 37.5%. And you just get a sense that people um, are starting to feel that frustration. And I think the survey was obviously sent out before we got really into this That's like right. crisis time that we've been experiencing of late. I know I felt blessed this morning not having any major delays on my trip here. Um, you know, it's, it's obviously become to a crisis level, and then the survey was done just before things really got insane or intense or however we want to put it. Um, right, but some of the survey results still point. I mean, one of the lowest-rated indicators here is traffic. So only 17% of people were like, yeah, sure, you know, traffic is good in the city. Um, 
And, you know, one way to sort of think about the results, I think, holistically, and what we consider a lot at CBC is the competitiveness of New York City and our region and metropolitan economy with other places. And, you know, we use kind of publicly available data previously to compare New York City on, on a number of quality of life indicators to see how great a place this is to live. And where we scored really low was transit and things like public schools um, and affordability. And I think the results here from the feedback survey really bolster that because, you know, we also ask people, aside from rating the services in the survey, you tell us what are the issues that you think um, government needs to focus on. And there, 30% of respondents cited infrastructure, almost 30% pointed to housing issues, including affordability, um, and 20% said traffic. And these are sort of very basic day-to-day -day things that people, uh, you know, is at the forefront of how people make decisions for where to live, work, and play, right? And, and some of the sort of everyday things that you don't see on the front pages often, or you don't see a lot of news coverage of necessarily a little bit here and there, but things like street noise and air quality, those things also got fairly low ratings, although we should point out that the background of this survey is that CBC did it how many years after the city did one? About 10? 2008, the city did this. Mm -hmm. It was the first of its kind, and it was, we thought, a really important tool and one that should be repeated regularly. And so the city never, despite our sort of calls as part of our focus on performance measurement, never did it again, so CBC has done it now. Um, and yes, yeah, so some of these areas, like control of street noise, like air quality, they do get low ratings, and people are dissatisfied, but they have improved since 2008. Yeah, and I was going to say, not only has air quality uh, perception improved, but also um, a sense of the education system has improved a lot, which I think is interesting, um, both because I, I do think it's genuinely felt among uh, New Yorkers, whether they have their own child in school or know people who do have children in public schools. Um, I think it's a particularly apt number to look at now as we now have a suspension <laughs> imminent of mayoral control of the city's public schools. The period covered here is really the period where the city has seen the benefits of mayoral control and a real clear focus on performance, consistency, um, management, all of the things that flow from mayoral control. Um, I think you can attribute the, the increasingly positive responses to quality of schools um, in the survey to mayoral control. So I think that's a helpful indicator. And to go back to what Maria was saying before about, you know, it's been this, you know, almost 10 years since the city has done its own survey. I mean, it is really, um, you know, I, I really do wish, the, and I'm sure that your organizations as well, um, would wish that the uh, city would really use this kind of performance measurement to hold its own agencies accountable, really look at the quality of services, because, you know, it did fall to the Citizens Budget Commission to do this survey, um, and, 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 you know, the city is not doing this kind of work. And I think now that Mayor de Blasio is trying to plead, 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 hey, help me keep my schools, he can, with data like this, he can say, no, it's not just about what I want and my control, this is about what the people of New York City want and need, and the survey results show it. Yeah, just to put a, I mean, just to put a number on it, the uh, satisfaction of public education of survey respondents is at 48%. And while, again, some of these numbers, you might say, oh, that's not that high, it is an increase of 9.5% from the 2008 city survey. And, you know, again, as Alyssa said, which is a great point, we're talking about New Yorkers here, notoriously hard to please. And on education, you know, I would add, 
there's obviously a lot of spots in the city where drastic improvements are needed, the schools are not good enough, but to have, um, you know, an improving satisfaction right there, I think you said it, you know, mayoral control is part of that picture. Uh, who knows, you know, exactly where the universal pre-K program fits into people's conception of that. I know it, you know, measured K to 12, but it's part of the sort of larger education picture. Right. I mean, actually, pre-K is on here. We asked about it. There, we, it wasn't asked in the 2008 survey, but people felt good about it. There's 57% rating. So it is the kind of thing that government should do regularly. And I think even, you know, the citywide results, I think, are informative for conversations like this, right? But when you get down to the borough and really the neighborhood level, then you can start overlaying that data with the city's own management data to see, well, where is there an inconsistency? If, you know, our parks inspectors are going out and rating these these neighborhood playgrounds as par- and parks as in great condition, but, you know, only half the residents are satisfied, there's a disconnect there. And it suggests that the city needs to think about uh, how it does some of this a little bit differently. I mean, that hits at sort of the the zoom out macro conversation here, which all three of our organizations are concerned with, which is city government functioning well, being responsive to New Yorkers, and also not just being in their own little bubble, as you're indicating of, oh, our, our parks people are out there rating, you know, rating right. their own performance or checking off boxes as to the tasks they're doing. And then we're reporting those in the mayor's manager report. And, oh, look at how many times we emptied these trash buckets. Well, right. And it's, it's, you're mentioning the mayor's management report. I mean, the indicators right now for agency performance on customer service, which in the private sector is a huge part of how management actually thinks about how to invest resources, manage uh, resources and so on, there the indicators are things like how quickly phone calls are returned. I mean, they're very antiquated. Um, so however many helpful indicators of agency performance are in that management report, um, this kind of public feedback is so crucial. And, you know, we actually just had the departure of the mayor's, uh, the head of the uh, mayor's office of operations, Mindy Tarlow, Um, And so now there's an opportunity to really get somebody in there who has that kind of customer service outlook. I mean, what an opportunity to really bring this kind of survey data into practice. That's a good point. I think that departure kind of got lost in the news. You know, there was another commissioner, uh, design and construction commissioner, who just left, and that got a lot of attention. But the Mindy Tarlow, you know, I think in a lot of cases it's partly that people don't really know you know, what the director of operations does for the city, but we're talking about making sure that a lot of things are running that need to be running to service New Yorkers. Right, and having someone who's, whose job is to literally think about the management of the city day in and day out and to get to know the specifics of the agencies and to push for improvements where things are weak. Um, so, yeah, it's a vital position, but not one that's very well known or um, considered overall. So let's go back to this conversation about... Um, New York's competitiveness, and I know you have, CBC has sort of a separate analysis on that, but a lot of these indicators also fit in, and just generally speaking, so you spoke to issues with transit, issues with affordability as sort of the downside, um, what, you know, what makes New York City so competitive? Why, why are we sort of busting at the seams here? Right, well, one, I think there's, I think, let's start with safety, Right. I think there's been a tremendous transformation here in terms of the image and the public perception of safety, but actually in the, you know, the safety indicators and the crime statistics that we all know um, since the the 80s and 90s. And that's been a big part and I think allowed and has facilitated in so many ways the economic development of the city. 
Um, and so that's one. And I think this also shows that some of the high, most highly rated indicators that we asked about are do you feel safe at night, during the day, in your neighborhood, overall? Um, and people do. So safety is a big part of it um, and I think can't be understated. Second, you know, we, we have so much here in terms of economic opportunity, in terms of educational institutions where people can come and study and hopefully stay afterward and work, um, as well as, you know, world-class amenities and um, cultural institutions. So there's a lot to draw people in. Um, I think the question and the challenge for New Yorkers has always been, how do we retain the people once they get here? Well, one of the paradoxes, of course, which gets reflected in the survey data, is that you know some of these are some of these low ratings are symptoms of a city's popularity, and that's everything from the traffic at nineteen percent to homeless services because there's no ha- there's not enough housing for people who live here. Um, you know, just you have a sort of uh, these success problems that the city has the challenge of managing. Um, and, you know, the data alone obviously will not be you know, point exclusively to the solution. It's just these issues have to be managed, but understanding the depths of people's, you know, how these really affect people's lives, right? How not being able to get around the city, um, you know, has a direct consequence on just even how people uh, function within the city. And, you know, we have what we have is a real risk of, you know, what I saw when I visited my sister in Los Angeles earlier this year, which is just, you know, people stay in their own neighborhoods. They don't live in New York City as a whole city. They live in a particular corner, stay in that corner, and that has a consequence for uh, people's economic opportunities, for cultural life, for a whole lot of things, um, and needs, you know, needs to be addressed. And that's because people can't get around. Because they can't get around, yeah. uh, or perceive that they can't get around. This is, I guess what I'm saying is that perceptions matter as much as reality, and if your perception is, if I get on that freeway, I don't know if it'll take me 10 minutes or an hour to get somewhere. I'm not going to get on the freeway. And it's that perception that New York is difficult to get around. It might, on any given day, be easier to get around, but you don't take that chance. You build your life around a circumscribed area. And I think that's the, the concern I would have about low public perception on that front. And while the city subway network you know, is, is really remarkable in some ways, if you have to, some many New Yorkers have long commutes to begin with, even when the subway system is working nicely. And if you have to now start building in 30 to 45 additional minutes just to be safe that you're going to get where you need to go, that's a major problem for a lot of people. And, and I think I, I was blown away that at a recent MTA um, presentation, you know, they were talking about the Penn Station repairs and, you know, they were suggesting to employers to tell your employees if you can to work from home or to commute on off, you know, off peak hours. And it's just that's mind boggling. Right. For New and York City to have to sort of succumb like that. Yeah, and I think the importance of transit to the vitality of this region can't be understated. Um, you know, it's a city of runners. It's a city where people are relying on the subway and not cars. Even if they own a car at home, you know, they're using mass transit. And it's so vital to, to the city's um, ability to grow and to prosper and to thrive. Um, but, you know, even of a, a, a most perfect plan to sort of fix the MTA and Jersey Transit and our regional transportation sector will take a long time and to work itself out. 
And so then another question is, well, what do you do about kind of more regional strategies in this sense, like you want to develop, you know, regional commercial business districts and foster, you know, work, play, live neighborhoods and areas so that you obviate the need to come into the to Manhattan or the central business district and your commute could be shorter as opposed to this mega commute. Um, and I think the city still has more to do in, in thinking about that. But, um, you know, like the the recent news that there'll be government positions shifted to East New York and some new space there. That's sort of thinking like, okay, you know, we have a plan to develop East New York. We're going to think about this holistically, not only in terms of bringing new density and new infrastructure, these new positions. Um, and then the missing piece there becomes the play part. What do you do about amenities and the availability of, you know, cultural and recreational nightclub restaurants, et cetera? And in, in some of those measurements, your, the CBC survey talks, you know, and labels them sort of quality of life, non-safety, you separate safety and non-safety. And fairly high ratings from New Yorkers about neighborhood parks and neighborhood playgrounds and even, you know, the availability of cultural activities. Um, you know, some of those numbers are, are pretty strong for the city. I'm, you know, this survey obviously was was taken, as I said a little bit before, we really got into this crisis point about, you know, commuting. I'd love to see if this survey is done next year, hopefully by the city and not just relying on CBC to do it, um, you know, to see where some of these numbers go, especially around transit. And we're also sitting here, you know, the morning after uh, Joe Loda has been roped back in to be chair of the MTA, and we'll see, um, you know, see how he can do sort of wrapping his arms around that project again. So let's talk about one really important survey result here that we haven't yet, which is one of the lowest markers, which was city spends tax dollars wisely. So in your big picture indicators, that's one of them. And 20.8% of respondents said the city spends tax dollars wisely. What does that mean to you, Alyssa? Well, it was a really uh, striking number. I would not have expected the number to be quite as low uh, as that. Um, and, you know, what, what I attributed the result to was it's just, you know, a kind of perpetual fact of political life that, you know, and, and Mayor de Blasio is certainly a, a well-practiced uh, practitioner of this, which is, you know, going out and doing the equivalent of ribbon cuttings pretty much every day, um, going out and uh, putting out press releases constantly that um, put price tags on programs, talk about $10 million being spent here, $100 million being spent here, even when that money is, in fact, money that's already budgeted, already spent. These programs aren't new. We saw this last week. There was a program to uh, fight uh, climate change and help neighbor people and communities cool down, and it was announced as a $106 million program. Well, actually, I don't think it's $106 million new dollars, but when they put numbers out there, uh, you know, politically to show that they're doing something, city leaders, state leaders, I mean, it's just a, a, a habit, like really send the message that they're spending, 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 even if those amounts are actually marginal to the overall city budget. Yeah, I think that's that's part of the the what's going on here and the dynamic. I think, you know, if the median wage or the average, you know, median household income in New York is $50,000 and you hear they just did a budget for $85 billion, you're like, where is this money going? Um, and, you know, there's this there's this theory of local sort of government and services is that, 
you kind of make a selection of being, um, you know, where you want to, you, your ta- where you pay as much in taxes as you're willing to get in services, and the two have to be equal. And so I think some people saying, hey, I'm really taxed. I just got a $200 parking ticket. You know, I pay all these income taxes that my relatives don't pay. Um, and what am I getting for it? Or what are the benefits accruing to my neighborhood? And I think people really question that a lot. Yeah, I, I, I was going to say something very similar in the psychology of it, which is I think both of those things are really important that people are hearing all the time, the city's spending this, the city's spending that. And I don't think the New York City media has even really sort of beaten up on the mayor as much as might be warranted about how much this budget has ballooned under him. And he's had to settle the labor contracts and all of that. But, I mean, we're talking somewhere near 20% growth of the city budget, right, since he came in. I mean, it's enormous growth. Yeah, and you now actually have Mayor de Blasio kind of actively embracing this notion that uh, aggressive investment in the city is a good thing, which in principle, of course, is, but he's using that, he said, uh, apropos his jobs plan, you know, that uh, when someone asked, well, wouldn't it be helpful also to cut costs for businesses, cut taxes? And he said, no, no, I'm all about investment. And if you're not, basically said it, if you're not for investment, what you want us to be is Kansas, which notoriously sharply cut its budget in an aggressive austerity plan and suffered the economic consequences. And I think that's a really kind of extreme way to position um, what what the mayor is doing. And then it kind of uh, you know, he's attempting to insulate himself from any criticism of any spending and saying, no, no, if you critique this spending, you want Kansas. You want to destroy this city. And that's, you know, it's not so black and white as, as he would make it out to be. Yeah, and I, I mean, I do think that it's also a little bit of the sort of New Yorker mentality, like, oh, that we're, we, you know, as Mario, you were indicating, it's like, my paycheck, look at, like, look at how much is coming out for taxes, and the city's still sort of going to hell, right? You know, and like that mentality, even though people rate their neighborhoods very, uh, highly, or or what what am I getting from this all this government spending? You know some of those types of thoughts um, that we all you know fall prey to sometimes. But I think your point, Alyssa, about you know the mayor's um, approach. I mean he's very unabashed about that philosophy of sort of redistribution and government intervention in the economy, and he talks all the time about you know you know my opinions of the capitalist system. I mean, he starts sentences that way sometimes, you know, so, and so it's very clear that, you know, he has that philosophy. I think if he were to look at this number, and he should, and maybe he has already, he, he should be pretty alarmed by the fact that 20.8% of New Yorkers um, are, are that low a number thinks that city government is spending tax dollars wisely. I mean, obviously, I completely agree. I think one of the primary jobs of the mayor is to be the fiscal steward of the city. And, you know, the sense that, oh, either you're for a lot of new spending or you're, you know, you want to be Kansas is a completely a false dichotomy, right? And the truth is, this is the first time in, what, 30 years where we've had an expansionary period, but there have been no tax cuts or no rebates or those kinds of things back to taxpayers, right? And I don't think it's, it's mutually exclusive to say, hey, we're going to make additional investments in these areas where we have, we've identified needs. But also, we're going to get more cost-effective in the way we do things. And those two things should be going hand-in-hand. And we're at a point where there's almost certainly going to be a a significant slowdown in economic growth here in the near future. And the question about his management of the budget is going to become even more front and center. Is that sort of what you're looking ahead to? 
That's right. I mean, there is a slowdown projected. Um, we've seen sort of a softening in some of the more cyclical revenues in the city. And so it's really, you know, now is the time where you really want the mayor to start exercising the management chops to say, hey, I can really start reining this in and thinking more critically about new investments and just showing a little more spending restraint. So before um, we wrap up, we should note that there were there are borough by borough, and you even said, you know, that there's community board level results. Um, just let's take our last couple minutes here just to talk borough by borough a little bit and just a couple of takeaways in that data because there's some fascinating numbers and, you know, folks should look for themselves at the at the survey results, but just to sort of give a couple broad strokes, um, Alyssa, something stood out to you? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's perhaps, again, not surprisingly, but Manhattan had by far the greatest satisfaction uh, with both, you know, their own services, the city services in general, and the Bronx had the lowest satisfaction with um, services to, you know, uh, to the communities and to the city in general. Um, and, you know, it's, it's um, they're really uh, pretty striking differences. I mean, just overall, a neighborhood is a place to live. In Manhattan, the satisfaction is 73%. In the Bronx, it's 43%. I mean, just, it's like really is a tale of Remarkable. two cities in this report. Yeah, right. I, I mean, that's the major difference, I think, for the folks in the outer boroughs who often feel like the other boroughs, there's evidence here that sort of bears that out because Manhattan is, you know, Manhattan residents are showing that they are satisfied on a majority of these indicators. We asked 45 questions. Um, you know, it's more mixed in Queens and, and Brooklyn. The Bronx dissatisfied on most of the measures. Staten Island, interesting case because they tend to feel very good about very localized uh, measures. You know, they've got the highest rating on neighborhood as a place to live, but they're much more down on citywide measures and on transit, public transit, because there is not much there. Yeah, I think, you know, looking at sort of borough by borough, you can see that um, there's there's some themes across the city. The 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 city spending tax dollars wisely. It's amazing how low that number dips in Staten Island at 13%. Obviously, you know, you have a more conservative uh, borough in Staten Island and, you know, folks who definitely want their property taxes lower and, you know, often don't feel like the city government spending is, is advantaging them, right? I mean, that's sort of the Staten Island ethos, especially not on the North Shore. Yeah, no, and I think that, you know, the taxpayer revolt, um, you know, Potential here cannot really be underestimated. I mean, I think it's felt most powerfully by single-family property owners because they're the ones who just got their bills. They're the ones seeing these assessments rising, even as the mayor claims that we're not raising property taxes, and they therefore feel kind of lied to as well as uh, as cheated. Um, so you'll see that most strongly in Staten Island. But I but I think that um, you know, speaking back to what Maria was saying about people's concerns about the city budget and so on. I mean, ultimately, I think that there's, you know, while Mayor de Blasio doesn't have to politically respond to it, given his advantage heading into re-election, I think that people's concerns about how their own money is being spent are going to really, if he wins re-election, are going to be very defining to his next term, because whether it's because of the federal budget, um, because of tra tax collections, whatever the challenges may be, um, you know, they, they, these are the, the city's commitments in the budget are going to have to be paid for, and it's going to fall on taxpayers, and that is a very difficult equation to solve. And we'll, you know, there's a lot more to unpack. We'll let people look at the survey themselves, and we'll let that be the last point for, for today's episode. 
but you know there's a lot of interesting feedback here for the mayor and um, there are several things where the survey indicates that things are going well like libraries and some other things so there's there's some positives to point out there too but we of course want to bring listeners attention and the mayor's attention to some of the things that clearly New York City residents are sort of crying out for some adjustments or to figure things out in a different way. Right. And as we release the community board results, I think it'll facilitate conversations more locally within the boroughs about needs in specific communities that will be important too. Alyssa Katz from the Daily News, thank you. Thank you. And Maria Dulas from CBC, thank you. And this has been the second episode of What's the Data Point from Citizens Budget Commission and Gotham Gazette. Uh, Look for us in future weeks talking all things policy, politics, budgets, and data points in New York City and state. Bye.